listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Since 2009, the Pharmacy Podcast has been leading podcast publications as the insider voice of the pharmacy industry. Explore the profession and business of pharmacy through audio. Join us at PharmacyPodcast.com or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any of your favorite podcast directories. We have touched on mental health several times. As a matter of fact, uh, Dr. Monica Krishnan has helped me to build a series called Pharmacist Focused on Mental Health and how there's more relevance, there's more purpose, there's more studies to how mental health is having a bigger impact on the overall care of something else happening in our patients' lives and how if we're not focused on the sometimes anguish and the stress, even a family member that is caring for a patient that's going through something and the the whole stress on the supportive ecosystem of that family dealing with that loved one and the domino effect that this has on care providers, on you as pharmacists who are listening to me right now, you as pharmacy technicians who are supporting your pharmacist out there. And what I've always tried to do is find other resources to dive into the subject of mental health and how this really has an impact on all of us as we are all together. I have a hashtag out there called hashtag together RX. And it's one of my favorites because that's really what this is all about when we are podcasting six times a week to 110,000 listeners per month, which is just so exciting to see how this has grown. I get to interview some really amazing people that have shared their pieces of content. Might be a podcast, might be a blog. Today, this is an author of a book called The Thin Ledge, A Husband's Memoir of Love, Trauma and Unexpected Circumstances. Welcome, Daniel Shapiro, to the Pharmacy Podcast Nation. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I received this from a friend of mine. I want to give a shout out to Ellie Moran with Finn Partners. And uh, Finn is an amazing uh, partner of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. They've done a lot for us and giving us some really terrific interviews. And we even got an opportunity to interview the chief medical officer of Ernst & Young about uh, the impact of racism on healthcare. So I want to come to the theme of mental health and its impact on healthcare effectiveness when sometimes back in my day, mental health really wasn't as focused on as it is today with regards to the experiences of what a, what a patient is going through. But first of all, tell our listeners a little bit about you, uh, Dan, and the reason that you wrote this book in the first place. Sure. Well, I, um, I am 64 years old uh, at this point. Um, I met my uh, then wife um, in college when we were 19 years old. We dated. Um, I um, went on from college to law school and uh, uh, attend law school in Chicago, which is where I've always 
lived. Uh, we had uh, three children together and went about our life. And when we turned 40, um, my wife had a cerebral hemorrhage as the result of a cavernous angioma, which for this audience, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll bother to mention. It's sort of a, a mouthful and, and most of the world doesn't know it, but I suspect that um, the folks who are listening will be familiar with those words, or at least they won't be utterly foreign to their ears. So she had a, a hemorrhage when we were 40. It wasn't terrible. Um, uh, and then two years later, she had another hemorrhage that was really quite devastating and left her impaired in all sorts of ways. Um, she couldn't, um, her vision was impaired, her speech after a long time in uh, the neurointensive care unit and being intubated. Her speech was uh, badly compromised. She had um, about half of her body wasn't particularly useful or left side. And uh, she ultimately wound up needing a wheelchair, although she managed with a cane for a little while. I cared for her. I was the caregiver in, in our scenario for the next 15 years. Um, and then ultimately, um, I'm sad to say that we separated and um, even sadder to say that um, not long after that, um, she passed away, Susan passed away. Um, during that 15 year period, I was a practicing lawyer. Um, I was raising our three children who were very young when this all began. And I was um, taking care of Susan. And what I wrote um, in The Thin Ledge is an account of that experience. And I tried to be really brutally honest and, and pretty raw in what I report, both in terms of my experience, um, my failures, frankly, um, some of my uh, uh, successes or at least places where I, I thought I was doing a good job um, and just generally what the experience was so that people, especially people in the healthcare industry, would have a very immediate sense and a real sense of what the experience is like. I, I found um, that uh, the neurology people in particular, while they were great uh, folks, great doctors, great nurses, they have a, a relatively limited bag of tricks. They, they just don't understand the brain as well as everybody would like. Um, they have not very many remedies. This was not surgically addressable. So there wasn't much they could do. And um, I always thought the neuro people didn't necessarily know what it was like to live uh, firsthand with the damage that brain injury, this kind of brain injury causes and, and what uh, people are sent home with from the hospital to live with for the, both the patient and the family for the next you know, decade or two or whatever period of time it's going to be. And I thought really um, recording that uh, would be useful. And it, it has sort of hit a nerve. It's an Amazon bestseller um, and uh, it's, it's getting a nice reception. Um, and I'd commend it to anybody who has an interest in getting a, a really uh, a very stark uh, accounting of what it's like to have this experience. That's really special because 
you are helping people that have gone through this or are going through it right now to be able to read something from your experience and the passing of Susan, which I'm very sorry to hear that, but also the impact that this has had on other people in your life, including your three children, that there's a domino effect of, of how this has impacted them as well as how it continues to impact them, which brings us back to the whole topic of mental health in our healthcare system. Why did it take us so long, Dan, in your opinion, to really put emphasis on mental health in the U.S. healthcare system? Well, I, I you know, I, I don't know the answer to that, but you're, you're asking my thought on it, my opinion on it, and I, and I do have one. I, I think a lot of it has to do with the way um, uh, doctors, physicians are trained. I mean, I, I think until fairly recently, um, the way that uh, neurosurgeons, for example, deal with a problem or any surgeons in my in my experience they're they're surgeons first and and that's sort of the the they bring that set of tools to the moment it, it's not that they don't pay attention to the mental health issues but I, they're they're busy people and i think the mental health issues sort of happen after the fact so you know the the mental health consequence of living with brain injury um, as a patient or living with the caregiver role or being a child in that house, that happens out of the sight of the neurosurgeon or the neurologist, frankly. Um, and who exactly is in charge of that at that point? I mean, who who is focusing on that other than the participants? And so you, you sort of wind up um, finding, I happen to find uh, this, uh, a, uh, a psychologist uh, for talk therapy who was really gifted, really talented. I'm, I'm sorry to say she's now retired. Um, and a psychiatrist who was really cutting edge too, which was interesting in the pharmacology of the antidepressants that I, I was um, given was totally fascinating. And some of it worked and a lot of it didn't. Um, but I, I think it's sort of a patchwork. I, I'm not sure that we have a very holistic training for dealing with these, you know, serious physical events that have an overlay of, of psychology and, and psychiatry to them. That's interesting because I have heard the same thing from pharmacists that I've talked with about that uh, domino impact to not only the the patient, but the family members that are caring for them and how that can accelerate or hamper or put additional stress on very specific therapies. The, the, the support structure that they have versus not having the support is really interesting. The, the perspective of being a caregiver, and that's part of really something that you write out in in great detail is being that male caregiver and you know when we say that it it may seem insignificant in some ways but i don't i don't think it is because there's a uniqueness to that 
versus being a caregiver and being a woman. I, I think mothers, for example, I, I was very maternal. I, matter of fact, I had a baby doll when I was five years old and my father had complained. This would have been in 1976 ish, 77 kind of complained to my mom. Why does he have a baby doll? Well, he's interested in babies and I carried it by its foot. I didn't really cradle it like a, like you would. And, but I liked it. I liked, I called him Peter and, and I, so some of us are more maternal than others, but everybody always thought of as caregivers more so as women or being the mother. But in your case, you were the dad. And I'm curious about that transition of realizing as you went through it and in, in caring for your wife and now being kind of the matriarch of your family for your kids, the impact that that's had on, on you, but also your children. Yeah. So I think there are a couple of things uh, that are sort of packed into that, into that question. One is, um, you know, what's the difference in my experience, the difference in gender as a man being, um, you know, recruited to be involuntarily to be the caregiver for somebody who's really desperately sick. I, I don't, it, it's such a, an individual experience. It's so, it's so lonely in some respects and it's so unique in a way to each person that I don't know how to think about the gender difference. I can tell you that in terms of caring for my wife, it had a lot to do with how much compassion I had and, and how much I could summon from um, inside of myself uh, to share with her and to use for her care. And sometimes I think I did it pretty well and sometimes I didn't. And I, but I don't know that that's different for women. I think another facet of this that probably does differ, which I have not thought about before until you asked the question the way you did. I, I sort of suspect that women have um, a better social network than men do, or at least most women I know have a better social network than I do. And I think that's because I wasn't trained that way. I was very career oriented and career focused. And so I think the network that you have can be awfully useful too. And I, I didn't have, in terms of friends, I didn't have a, a lot of that. I had some, and and um, my friends were terrific about this, but um, it was more of, a, you know, my individual experience. And, and I have extended family. I have sisters and um, uh, a mom um, who's now not doing so well, but at the time she was. I think the other part of the question is um, being a dad and how does that work when you're the caregiver? And I have to say that in terms of um, how this all worked out, that part was a gift because I, I think this whole disaster in all other respects wound up causing me to spend so much more time building relationships and experiencing this whole thing with my three children and I, um, I, I found that I, I am sure I have a better, closer relationship with my three kids than I would have had I had a more normal existence in my, you know, in my 40s and, and 50s. 
and so for that part, um, I mean, they, I think my kids, you know, they were, a they were a lifeboat for me. I mean, they saved me because just because they did. And, um, I'm sure that that is, would not be in my life experience, um, if there hadn't been this calamity with, uh, their mom and, and my wife, um, doesn't offset things, doesn't, but it just, you know, the facts are the facts and that's a part of it. I mean, that was, that was a good, a good part in the sense that it created relationships that, um, are really deep and strong. In the notes that I really wanted to jump into in reference and building our conversation today, which I so much appreciate you really opening up because I want our listeners to be listening to what you're saying in between the words and between the lines of understanding that there's an opportunity to have a greater impact for people that are going through serious diseases and, and struggling maybe financially or understanding that, that their children are also suffering because of a trauma is the concept of the long goodbye and moving on and growing from trauma. And from your perspective, Dan, what that means and, and sharing that with our listener. Yeah, I, I think it's, I, I know the reference to the long goodbye. And I think I generally hear it in the context of Alzheimer's disease or dementia. Um, but it certainly applies in my circumstances as well. I mean, I, I think, Susan's life was really fundamentally compromised from the time she was, you know, 42 and then progressively for the next long, long period of time. And, and I, the only thing I can say about that, I, I, I'd say two things about it. One is um, it was brutal. It was unspeakably cruel. Uh, it just, you know, what, she endured uh, and what was taken away from her and how she lived with it um, was just, you know, on top of everything else. It, it's impossible to watch and not have your heart broken every day. The other thing I would say is to your audience, just keying off of something you said a moment ago, it is a lonely experience to be a caregiver. You're you're sort of you're sort of doing this, and it's a one-on-one -on -one thing. And to the extent that people have an instinct that would lead them to reach out a little bit and just say, "How are you doing?" And you don't have to say anything more than that. You don't have to start weeping. All you have to do is extend your hand metaphorically a little bit. Just you know, how are you doing? How's it going? Um, not with the expectation that there's going to be necessarily any big, long conversation, but I, I can't tell you how much that matters. I just, just to have, I can't tell you why, but um, when people would stop for a moment um, and just say, you know, I know what's happening and I, you're in my thoughts and, and I hope you're doing okay. And, and is it going all right? Um, any of those things, just the outreach is so important, so touching. Um, and your audience really comes in contact with so many people who are situated this way. 
if you have an instinct to extend yourself that way, I'd pursue it. I mean, don't, I, I, I just can't imagine anybody like reacting poorly to that. And maybe there's a little risk there, but I can tell you from uh, the other side of the, the glass window or the counter or whatever, um, that kind of outreach uh, is, is really meaningful. And I, it just sort of, you know, my testimony on that is, is to encourage it if, if you're inclined. What you're describing, Dan, is sincerity and, and empathy and understanding that sometimes the only caregiver, the only healthcare provider that's going to give a patient that pause and looking them in the eye or grabbing onto their hand and saying those words, you know, how are you doing? What's going on? Are you okay? It just gives relevance to how much humans need to be loved and it doesn't have to be like you said super intensive and sitting down and it can be to be something so so simple but it, it comes with sincerity and it and that's it, 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 right I, I think that's true and i think uh, you know i think the thing is that you're in you're you're locked in this sort of inhuman experience i mean you're locked in this in this struggle um to find compassion all the time to put in a lot of hours to watch somebody you love be that hurt to you know there's just a lot of stress um that is imposed and it it's not it's not pleasant and it is sort of inhuman and to have somebody reach out and extend some humanity um, I can't tell you how meaningful it is. I, I mean, way out of proportion to the effort that it takes to do. I mean, just a simple, I hope you're doing okay. That's all, that's all you need to do. Just so that, that you know, I hear the vast swarm of humanity reaching out to me and letting me know they're human beings out there who are, who are thinking about me, even just for, you know, two seconds, it matters. And I, I, you know, your folks, the people who listen to this, I think are positioned to do that probably better than just about anybody. Share with our listeners a little bit about what you're doing in, in other facets of your, of your career and in, in giving back and, and the fact that you're part of a board of trustees of, of brain, the brain research foundation. Um, and, and also young leadership and what that means to, to really having an impact on the future. Um, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, years ago in the middle of all this, I got involved in this fantastic organization. It's based in Chicago. It's called the brain research foundation and they do fundraising and then um, search for basic science research, brain research to support. So it, it, it's sort of, you know, the, they, we, we refer to the Brain Research Foundation as sort of the venture capitalists of brain research. We find very early stage, um, before people are set up to um, get funding from the NIH, they need funding to sort of bridge to that. And that's what the Brain Research Foundation does, just basic science. Um, my, my children got involved in this, um, maybe four or five years ago, 
And they've been um, so much more effective and useful than I, I have ever been in, in the organization. They've raised in the last four years, they've raised, or maybe three years, uh, about a quarter of a million dollars to fund brain research. Um, and that's, you know, it's hard to, you read the newspaper and you see all these gigantic numbers and small numbers. It's a lot of money. And, and it's, I'm so proud of what they've done and where the money is going and what it's funding, um, that uh, it, it's it's really helpful. And I do believe that basic research uh, and, and finding really talented, imaginative, energetic young scientists who need the money to get started, that's where the answers come from. It's it's the you know the people who are are figuring it out on a blank board and and have to uh, really think hard and be imaginative. And that's the kind of stuff we fund. That is really cool. I like that. And I like the fact that it's, you're taking the, the, the experiences that you've had and you're, you're giving that direction and it's helping to elevate that next, um, individual, that entrepreneur, that director, uh, physician, pharmacist, whoever it is, and it's, it's going to impact other lives. So, that's what this is all about. That's what this entire podcast network is about really is, is trying to reach as, as many people to support our pharmacists, our technicians, but to have them turn around and, and impact the lives of the, of the patients that, that we all serve in, in one way or the other. Yeah. And I, and I really would encourage um, your audience, if I can be this blunt about it, um, to uh, go to Amazon and get the book, get the thin ledge, because I, that showing that kind of support um, for the book um, matters to uh, this community. And it, it it is helpful and it pushes this along a little bit. It's I, I will tell you um, at this point in my life and having had a, a full career as a lawyer, this isn't a financial thing. Um, uh, for me, but I, I do want to build interest in the book and I do want it to find a, um, you know, an expanding audience. I just think it would be a good thing. So I want the listeners to go to the show notes. We're going to have a link to the book um, available to you, The Thin Ledge, as well as uh, uh, an ability to to like look at the show notes and, and share this podcast with a, a fellow uh, HCP healthcare provider. Dan, I want to thank you for being part of the Pharmacy Podcast Nation and just sharing this. This was very special and your time is very important to uh, to me and our audience. And I just wanted to say uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. 